we're on this series uh, called Ancient Cliff Notes, and last week we just plowed through the story of Samson. I know for those of you who were there, the story of Samson was very, very intense, and it was found in Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16, and we did all four of those uh, all four of those chapters all in one week. Uh, and then today, in a minute, we're going to continue on through Judges, and we're going to get into Judges 17 and 18. And I'm going to tell you this right now, it's such a bizarre passage. Uh, it, because of baptism, we're going to try to keep it a little bit shorter today, uh, but we're going to just kind of dive into this passage. Um, but um, I also want to encourage you guys, please, the next uh, the next two Sundays, uh, the 16th and then the 23rd when we have Thrivent, please come back and bring friends for those two weeks too. We're gonna, they're going to be very... Uh, they're going to be the type of messages, both of them, that uh, will be good for everybody to hear. We're going to talk about Jonah next week, and then we're going to talk about the book of Ruth the week after that. And, I, and I've been, as I'm studying this, I'm just, I'm so excited about what uh, God is kind of speaking through these passages and what we're going to pull out of it. So next week is going to be, the next couple, please be here for that. Uh, and then one note before I read this passage uh, that we're about to go through. And this kind of goes in line with some of the stuff that Shane's going to talk about. Uh, but I think that often what people do, a lot of times is we just sort of skim through things in the Bible. Like we don't actually like fully appreciate what they're saying or take the time to figure out what is this saying. And so a lot of times when I was younger especially, I would read the Old Testament particularly and I would read it because I wanted to check off that I've read it. But I'd get to the end of the story and if you were to ask me what was that story about, I could probably not tell you anything about it. And I certainly would not be able to tell you like what I could pull from that to apply to my life today. And uh, that's what we're doing with this series is we want to take these ancient, ancient texts and figure out what does it mean for us today? Like what actually was going on then and what does it mean for us today? How do we apply it to our lives? So that's what this series is all about. And uh, today's message is really going to be based on just one, one single verse uh, that is kind of referring to a series of about five more stories that come through or or maybe it's four more uh, that come up after this, and we're going to talk about the first two of those today. Uh, so this verse is found in Judges 17, verses 6, and this is what it says. It says, in those days, in those days there was no king in Israel. So everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Let's pray. Jesus, Father God, we, uh, we thank you so much, Lord, that you are on the throne. We thank you, Lord, that... Uh, in the midst of whatever mess we might be going through in this life, Father God, that you still love us through it, Lord, that you meet us right where we are, Jesus, and that you are here to make all things new, Father God. Lord, we pray today, Lord, uh, we thank you that we're going to be going to Belle Isle. We thank you that we're going to do some baptizing, Lord. We thank you that uh, even though it's cold, Lord, that people still showed up and said, I want to get baptized today, God. Lord, that speaks volumes of what you're doing in the hearts of people. And in, the, in, in our community, in our church, God, Lord, we just, we just want to be your hands and feet. And Holy Spirit, right now, I ask to, that you bless everybody in this room, Lord, and that everything that uh, you would have me to say, God, let me say that and that alone, and let everything else fall to the ground before it ever comes out of my mouth. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going uh, to look at these first couple stories that kind of fall under that, that passage that said, in those days there was no king, and everybody just did whatever they wanted. They did whatever was right. Uh, in his own eyes. And that, the Bible actually keeps going back to that in that from Judges 17 to Judges 21. It keeps saying that. It's kind of a recurring theme. Everyone does what's right in his own eyes because there's no king during this time. So chapter 17 uh, begins by telling us that someone stole 1,100 pieces of silver from this guy Micah's mother, okay? And 1,100 pieces of silver is actually the same amount that each of the um, 
people bribed Delilah with uh, in last week's passage. So five of them each gave her 1,100. So significant, the same number. Uh, 1,100 pieces of silver uh, was stolen for, from Micah's mom. And so the beginning is Micah uh, curses whoever it is that stole her money. Like she utters this curse. And her son Micah overhears her utter this curse against whoever has stolen this money. And he's very convicted because he had stolen his mother's money. And in those days, people took curses very seriously. So he, and he felt he was very afraid. And so he, he heard the curse and he went to her and he confessed what he had done. He said, Mom, I stole your money. And she shows grace to him, which is a very good thing. She's, she's so gracious. She doesn't, uh, she doesn't turn him in. She's very, it's, it's awesome, very good. But then she does something that's not good. See, to honor the fact that Micah was so honest with her, she takes that money, she uses some of it and gives it to a silversmith and says, in honor of what my son did, I want you to craft an idol to him in honor of Micah. So Micah's mother blesses Micah by building an idol to himself. It's kind of strange. Then Micah proceeds to do what anybody would do if their mother builds them an idol, and he gets a priest for that idol. It's supposed to be a bit of a joke. Normally moms don't make people, don't give people idols. Like, but if you did, you need a priest. You can't, have a, you can't have a God without a priest. So, what, so Micah goes and he gets a priest. And at first he has his sons be the priest. And we don't really know what happened with his sons being the priest, but it seems it doesn't work out very well because uh, just a little bit later, uh, there's this kind of this wanderer, this sojourner, this traveler from, uh, from Bethlehem, who the Bible says he's a Levite. And uh, which in, later Levites would become like the assistants to the priest. So like in the Good Samaritan, a priest comes, a Levite comes. It's like a priest comes and then his assistant comes. But all that kind of formed later. Uh, but here a Levite comes uh, through. And, uh, and so Micah's like, oh my gosh, I, I'll make you my priest. So this wandering Levite who comes out of nowhere, become, he moves into the house to become the priest for Micah's idol. Micah says, I'll pay you 10 pieces of silver a year which seems not, not a lot when he had stolen 1100 earlier. Ten pieces of silver a year. I'll cover your housing and I'll buy you some clothes. It'll be great. You can be my priest. Um, I'll, give you, I'll cover your living costs. So the Levite accepts the job. Okay? And chapter 17 ends. And this is what it says when it ends. It says, now Micah says, now that I have, that, now, that, now the Lord is definitely going to prosper me because I have a Levite for a priest. Which is kind of, a strange way to end a chapter in the Bible. It's a very strange chapter, but then the story gets even more strange. Chapter 18. Again, it begins by saying there's no king in Israel. Everybody does whatever they want. There's no king. Uh, and, and during that time when there's no king, there's this wandering tribe of people, the tribe of Dan. Okay? And Dan is on their way to find a land that they can conquer. They're like, we, need to, uh, we, want, we don't want to be wanderers anymore. We want to have our own home. We want to take over somebody's land, take over a city, make it our own city. We want to conquer it. So, so they send five spies to kind of spy out some land and figure it out. And on their way, they stop at Micah's house. And they lodge with Micah. And as they're lodging with Micah, uh, they overhear this priest talking. And they say, we recognize your voice. And then they realize, okay, you're a Levite. What are you doing here? They're like, what in the world are you doing, guy? Why are you in Micah's house, right? And so they ask him, they say, what are you doing? And then he explains the whole thing. He's like, dude, this guy, Micah, he made me priest. He made me priest. And then they're all like, dude, you're a priest? That's amazing. Can you tell us if the mission we're going to go on is going to succeed? 
And he's like, yeah, go for it. Go on that mission. The journey, the Lord is with you. Go on the journey. He's with you. That's completely ridiculous. Okay? This is a priest for a God built by Micah's mom. Okay? Just think about that. This, I know you're like, maybe you're having a hard time following this, but this is a God built by Micah's mom that he hires a priest for because he takes it that seriously. Okay. Then it gets even more crazy. At least I think it does. Right? These spies, then they go and they spy out this city called Laish. And, and I want you to very, look very closely at the words that the Bible uses to describe what they see when they see Laish. This is Judges 18.7. It says, these five men, they then, then the five men departed. They left Micah's house. They came to Laish. And this is, how, this is what they saw. They see people there who were uh, living in security. They feel great about their lives. They feel like we have it all. They live in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth. And how they were far from the Sidonians, who were their people, and they had no dealings with anyone. So, so far in the story of this guy who stole from his mom, and then because he confessed it, she got really happy and she builds an idol to him for it, a god. And then Micah, basically what he does is he basically starts his own religion to this god in his house and he hires a priest. Then you have this place called Laish. And Laish is a place filled with people who think they have it all. They think, hey, you know what, this, we have our community, we're all good, we're one tight-knit group, and we have it all, we don't need to go anywhere else, we don't need to help anybody else, because here in this place, all of our needs can be met. Right? But notice, they are quiet and unsuspecting. They don't think anything wrong could ever come. They lack nothing, they have it all, but they were far from everybody, and they had no dealings with anyone. I love the way that the uh, New Living Translation puts it. It says, they have no allies nearby. In other words, there is no one who would run to their rescue if someone were to attack them. They live in isolation. So the Danites, they see this and they're like, man, this is going to be easy. They're an easy target. You see, what the writer of Judges does here, before we even get into a battle, before we even get into what the Danites are going to do, is he paints a picture of people who have, by their own design, set up their lives to be vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. And quite frankly, it's an incredibly disturbing reflection of the way that I think that our whole world looks right now. I think we're just totally set up for the attacks of the enemy. I mean, even, even today, we, we live in a world of isolation. We've talked about isolation a few weeks ago, and it's just kind of been a little bit of a recurring theme a little bit for us right now. But we live in a world where, like, a person can be anybody they want to be without knowing anybody at all. Like, you can, ha you can build a career for yourself in your bedroom without leaving at all and not having any relationships with anybody and not interacting with anybody at all. But when we seclude ourselves from accountability and from environments like this where we can actually be in community with each other and we can actually talk about what's going on in our lives with people, right? What we do is we seclude ourselves and we leave ourselves open for attack and we don't even realize it. We don't even know what's going on. And, and quite frankly, I think that even a lot of churches... And I want to I I frame this for you because I don't want this to be our church. But I think a lot of churches look like Laish looked. Because what a lot of people do, what do they do? When, what do you do when you're looking to find a church? And you're trying to figure out, is this my church? Are these my people? How are most churches built, right? They're built by people come in, they visit, and they look around the room. 
room just like this one, and they ask themselves this, this question or something like it. Do I fit in? Do I fit in here? Which, this is a healthy question when you actually think about what it's really, really saying, which we'll get to in a second. But what we think that we're asking when we ask ourselves this is we think we're asking, are these people like me? Do they look like me? Do they have the same politics as me? Will they affirm in me whatever the things are that I want to do in my life and the way that I want to live my life? Do they like the same college football teams as I do? Do they go out to the same places that I go out to? Listen, I want you guys to understand something. And I, this is really, I really think this is important as a church, if the church is going to really move forward. Because in general, anywhere you go, you're going to see a lot, of, you're seeing, there's a lot of shifts happening. Uh, in, in a lot of shifts in the church that are taking place. But I think it's important that you guys all understand, especially as we cultivate environments like this, there's a very big difference between belonging and being somewhere with people who are just like you. Okay? You can belong in a place where not everybody is like you. Okay? You can belong to a place where you, they, you don't naturally feel comfortable being there at first. And, and, and it's just, the re, and the reality is that in, a lot of churches have like a saying, like, oh, you belong here. I see a lot of churches doing that saying, because the fact is, we're all pieces, and they belong together, okay? So sometimes the discomfort comes, and it can push people away, but the reality is, is truly fitting in, if you're actually asking, do I fit in this place? What that means is, do I fit in means, am I a, am I a missing piece, Okay? Do, do I fit? Now, you don't need to be an identical piece. You need to be a missing piece. You need to be something that can contribute. Do you further bring us toward the completion of the puzzle of what God's trying to do in this community? These are the type of questions that we should be asking. Do you fit into what God is doing in the direction that he's taking us? Like, you have something to contribute to the body of Christ. You do. You 100% do. And, and so, so some of these questions we should ask is, is this community going to stretch us further than we are now? I, am I, by adding to that community, going to stretch further than we are now? Fitting in does not mean that everybody looks just like us. It can't. So we should be asking questions more like this. Can I be used here? Will I grow here into more and more of who God needs me to be to help make the world a better place? Because he does it through connecting with people and community, and that's how, what he does. It's, it's very powerful. Other questions we can ask is, is this going to break me of my selfishness? Because we all come in with a lot of baggage, and we all come in with a lot of stuff about ourselves that we're trying to figure out. Is it a place that's actually going to help us live with conviction? Is the gospel being lived out through community in that place? See, the difference, and this is the reason I feel like it's important to say this, the difference between these questions and then the simple question of, well, are they all the same as me, really is that one feeds your isolation. Like, you might have more people around you, but if every person in your entire life is just telling you the same thing you already know, and there's no tension whatsoever, it's still just isolation. It's just a group of people who are isolated off on an island somewhere, making each other feel good about the way they feel. But the other question actually asks, if, if you ask it, it's going to help you to actually begin to ask the question of like, is this turning us more and more and more into a servant of Jesus? Are we together as a body going to be able to do more because we're together? I know one couple joined our church um, uh, a, a couple years ago, and, and, and they told me this story. They opened up to me and they said, hey, uh, a little bit th throughout the time, and, and, they're, and they're still a big part of our church today. And when they got there, um, the, 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 the wife was like, 
I don't, she didn't know how she felt about it because she's used to very big churches and our church is small. And, and, she's, and she's like, man, I don't know. I'd like to find a big church. But she felt like the Holy Spirit said to her, and, I, and I'm going to mess this up. I don't remember exactly what she said. But she said a lot, something along the lines of like, the Holy Spirit said to her, like, this is where I can use you. This is where I have something, you have something that can actually propel them to somewhere greater than they are right now. So, so in that season, she's like, man, maybe I need to start looking out for how I can be used. And to this day, that couple is one of the most important couples to Don and I. They're the most help, one of the most helpful couples in our church. They add an amazing diversity to our community. They're servants. And if we aren't careful as a church, and if we aren't intentional, it can be very easy that we go to a place and we're like, they don't look like me, so I'm going to go somewhere else just because they look like me. And if we only do that, and when people come through who don't look like us, that can become a very big problem. We're like, what do you do with this? Tension is helpful. It's a, it's a good thing. But if everybody migrates to the people who are just like they are, and they go to church with the people who are just like they are, and they only spend time with people who are just like they are, then what happens is we come into a place like this, and we're just constantly affirming all the things that we all already believe. But that's not what church is about. Church is about stretching us into being effective Christians for Jesus. Becoming the people that Jesus needs us to be so that we can change the world. So that's a question I want us to ask ourselves. Is how do we, what, how, what do we do in our lives to become more of who Jesus needs to be? To change the world. See, tension is healthy. A, a health, there's a healthy amount of tension. Some tension can get unhealthy. Uh, but tension can be healthy because different perspectives cause us to keep growing, okay? But if we create a culture where people feel like it's not okay to be different, then if they are different, then what they're going to do is they're going to isolate from that culture that we've created. Listen, I'm very, very convicted about this. And the reason for that is, is I feel like the church is an easy target. And I don't think that the church should be an easy target. But what happens is the enemy, he finds gaps. Like, he finds people... Uh, who are in these places of weaknesses, uh, and, 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 and you know, you're off by yourself in your life or whatever, and that's where he tends to do the most work on you when you're all alone. And, but by design, church is meant to be a body of people that we are supposed to connect to. And there really is no excuse for living life not connected to other people. There's just no excuse for that at all. There's no excuse to not share things with other people, uh, the things that you're going through. And I say that to you as a pastor who's married to a pastor. And who, so that, it's very hard for us to talk to people about stuff because we're supposed to be leading people. But I'm still very, very convicted. Like I'm probably case 101 on what not to do when you're facing issues. Uh, and so we've got to work through some of those things. But the reality is, is you don't talk about stuff, it only gets worse. If you don't have community with people, you're going to get attacked. There's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. So we need to be intentional, all of us. It's not just my job. We need to be intentional to create spaces and safety pla safe places for people uh, so that they know the church is the right place to have these conversations. The people who are here will listen to me and they'll care about me and they won't judge me and we're going to move forward together in life. It's, we should be the safest place to talk to each other on the whole planet. But it should also be a place where because... We love each other so much. We also give our ears to the feedback and the counsel of others when, when they bring it. Uh, be, uh, counsel of people who maybe don't agree with us. Because sometimes we need to hear other perspectives. Because sometimes people can see things in us that we can't see in ourselves. Sometimes people can spot those blind spots that we can't see in our lives. Like, just for instance, go back to the story, right? Micah. Micah had nobody to tell him. Be like, dude, this idol thing you have going on? 
like, it's a cult. It's, it's this crazy, weird thing that you're, you're doing. It's not right. He had nobody. He had his own little world. He had his house. He had this idol statue that his mom gave him. He had his kids and he had his priest. It was not right. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden this priest comes through, right? And the priest feels like a nobody. He's just a wandering guy. And all of a sudden this guy's like, I'm going to make you my priest. That also can be very, very dangerous, right? When you feel like you're in isolation and nobody's reaching out to you. And then one day one person actually does reach out to you. And even though they don't have your best interest at heart, they just empower you. And, like that's a whole other sermon. It's not how that, like, that's how a lot of big problems begin, that's how a lot of stories that we hear of people who have strayed, they really start in a place like that. Again, if you have nobody to bounce what's going on in your life off of, and you're always wondering what happens, right? You end up the priest to a cult god. Like, that's, that's sort of what happens. So this is what happens in the story. Uh, this is what happens to Micah. And this is what happens to Laish, this, this people who are quiet and they're unsuspecting uh, with no allies nearby. So the Danites, they're preparing to invade Laish, Okay. And in preparing, first they rob Micah, they steal his idol, and they steal his priest. Which to me is hilarious, because this is not even a real priest. But they go in, they attack, they steal his stuff. The priest is this wandering guy, to the stupid idol, becomes, he becomes a priest to it. And the Danites steal the priest, and the, the, or the Danites steal the idol. And the priest is like, dude, why are you stealing the idol? He tries to confront him, and they're like, dude, dude, you could be our priest. Come, come on, come be operating. Like, so he's like, oh, whoa. And they actually say to him, they say, keep quiet, come with us. Like, why would you want to be the priest to just one man when you could be a priest to uh, everybody, in, to this entire tribe of Israel? It, it's like this would have fit perfectly in that new Nike commercial, right? Like, it's like, it's like why, why, don't be a priest to one man. Be a priest to everybody. Come on, guys, that was funny. Might have been too soon, but it was funny. If you've seen that commercial, that was a good one. Man, my jokes, the last two weeks, Matt, I need your support here, man. Thank you. There it is. All right. So this is what happens. The priest's heart is glad. Why? Because he got a promotion. Now he gets to be a priest to a whole tribe. Whole tribe of people. And this guy's like, I don't even know how he became a priest, but now I'm a priest to everybody. He's the poster child for fake it or make it. Fake it till you make it. And Micah, he's really mad. And he's like, man, I don't understand what's going on. Uh, you took everything from me. And so he tries to get a couple of his friends together and confront the army. And the army's like, dude, we're an army. What are you doing? Are you insane? Why are you so mad, Micah? And this is what he says. I think this is so sad. He says, you take my gods that I made and the priest. And you go away. And what have I left? First of all, his mom made the gods. How then do you ask me what is the matter with you? You've taken everything from me. So Micah, through an isolated, cultish, personal religion that, he, that nobody related to, nobody understood, he's in his own world, he puts everything he has into this weird life that he created for himself. And when the foundation of, of that life he had built obviously proved to be insecure, and everything he had was gone, suddenly he had no clue what to do, and he had nobody to turn to. And the Danites, they basically tell him, back off, we're going to kill you. So he backs off. And that's how Micah's story ends. He goes home empty-handed, lost and alone. It says that he turns, and he goes back home to a house with no idols, a house with no silver god, a house with no priest. And this is what happens to Laish. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him, and they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting, and struck them with the edge of the sword, 
and burn the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon. And they had no dealings with anyone because they had no allies nearby. You know, you may think that your world is perfect, right? Like, it, like, it's, like it's going your way. Like you don't need God to tell you how to live. You don't need a church to hold you accountable. You don't need people to check in with you. But the Danites are coming. They're coming. The attacks in your life will come. I know this has been a recurring theme a little bit this summer, but these passages, they just so vividly make the case that community is how we find health. It's how we find healing. And to pull away from people and to try to do life on our own terms and in our own way is always what leads to destruction. I keep going back to what what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 4.10. He says, someone who falls when he's all alone, he's in real trouble. Because there's no allies. The world might have felt great before you got attacked. Because quite frankly, it's always easier to live your life in isolation, right? It's always easier to live your life not accountable to other people. That's why the proverb says if you isolate yourself, you seek your own desire. Because you can do anything you want if you don't have anything, if you don't have anybody telling you that you shouldn't be doing that. But when you don't have any guides in your life, you can move forward without any conviction in your life, but you're moving forward in the wrong direction. Without guides, you can do whatever may seem right in your own eyes, like what was going on in, the, in those days in Judges. You can do what seems right. You can create a God in the comfort of your home. You can spend your days worshiping it. You can even convince yourself that it's right. Because nobody's telling you any different. And it's going to often work out for a while, but it always ends in tragedy. Because everybody eventually reaches a point in their lives when they need allies. When they get attacked. But it's very, very difficult to cross bridges that you've burned. Isolation destroys people's lives. So in the end, Micah, he ends up with nothing. Laish ends up destroyed. Danites take over Laish. They, make it, they rename it Dan. And then they set up Micah's idol in their new city of Dan. And that's it. That's how the story ends. And then in Judges, you get three more just absolutely disturbing chapters. If you go home and read them, 19, 20, 21, you'll be like, wow, this is awful. You see even more out of control that things got before, before things got a little bit better. It's just gruesome stuff. Uh, maybe someday we'll teach on it, but there's not time today. But then the entire book of Judges ends. The last line of the entire book ends with that same exact line that we read at the beginning. It says, in those days. We just recapped all of those days, which is what happens in that book. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's, I feel like it's so significant that the writer keeps coming back to this. There was no leadership. And because there's no leadership, everybody just sort of did whatever they felt like they wanted to do. But it never worked out for any of them. You read the stories, it never works out for any of them. Because the reality is, is there is right. It's in one place and there is wrong and it's in another place. And the Bible says that the eyes of man are never satisfied. So if you're only doing what's right in your own eyes, you're never going to find any true fulfillment. You're always going to be unsatisfied because the eyes of man are never satisfied. It's always going to feel like I'm striving after the wind. I'm going after stuff that's just not, it's just, it's just going to always turn out like that. But ultimately our lives need to be about something that is bigger than ourselves. Ultimately, our lives need to be about something bigger than just what we want. 
or the things that maybe make us feel good. If we do whatever it is that seems right in our eyes, we're going to live lives that are always about ourselves. And there's no, there's no way not to do that. But the eyes of man are never satisfied. You can always want more. And, but when you commit to other people, and you commit to the way of Jesus, even though, you, even though you might not always have everything that you want, you will always help more people. You will always accomplish more things for the kingdom. You will always do more. And we will always achieve more when we do it together and we'll always help more people when we do it together. But you must not isolate yourself because worlds get very messy very quickly when you do that. You know, Jesus Christ, he gave up his life for the sake of the world, for the sake of you and for the sake of me. You know, Micah, he's mad because he thinks that he's losing this valuable thing in his life when the Danites take his idol. It's a statue. It's a thing his mom made. But Jesus Christ laid down his life willingly. He let the Roman government take his life for us. Because the truth is, for Jesus, life is always about, was always about serving other people. It was always about others. It was always about bringing healing to situations, bringing restoration to situations, bringing hope to situations, not just satisfying yourself in some hidden space. Jesus didn't create, make the world a better place so he could enjoy it. He was going to die. He died for it. He created a better world to leave it better than he found it so that you and I can enjoy it. And you and I can live in the kingdom of heaven and actually usher it in here and help people live better. And when you live your life like that, it will always, always, always come back on you. The truth is, Jesus Christ came, he came to this earth, he lived a perfect life, and he died a horrific death on a cross because all of us do what's right in our own eyes. And none of us do what's right. On, on our best day, we still don't measure up. But on our worst day, Jesus died for us. And guys, human nature, it will always be to do what's right in our own eyes. It's always going to be. So we have to use intention to work against that. But in light of the example that Jesus gives us, this beautiful picture of like, hey, I'm going to make my life about everybody else. To do the right thing for everybody else. I, I feel like we could be intentional to get there as a community and to treat our community like that and to treat one another like that. We're, we're not in this place just so that we can affirm everything in each other. It's okay to do that. But we're empowering each other to go out there on a mission for Jesus and help people and make our community a better place. You know, I'm not going to spend any time on this right now, but we're going to launch life groups in a few weeks. Please get into one of those things. Connect with people. We need each other and bring some friends to it who maybe they wouldn't come to an environment like this right now, but they'll come to that, a less threatening environment in their mind, and they'll have a conversation, and we'll have a bonfire, and we'll make s'mores, and we'll make food, whatever it might look like. Please, like, strongly consider that. We are better together. And, you know, if you're in this place today and you feel like layish. Like you just feel like your whole world, maybe it's working right now and, and you know it's going well, but you also know, man, something's vulnerable. Something's not quite right. Or if you're in this place and maybe you feel like Micah and you're like, okay, it's, it's obvious how far off track you've gotten, but you've gotten so comfortable with the world that you've created that you don't want to step into anything else. You don't want to give it up. And just remember, Jesus meets you in those broken places today. I know sometimes it feels like, man, how could I ever get there? Jesus wants to meet you in that today. He died for you in that place, and he loves you so much. 
And you are never, ever, ever, ever too far gone for Jesus. You need to hear that. You're never too far gone for Jesus.